Hello and welcome to So You Think You Can Rule Persia, the podcast where we rate and review all the kings of Persia from Diocese to Yazdegerd the Third. I'm Serial and my pronouns are they them. And I'm Umberto and my pronouns are he him. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 56, Volagasis the Fourth. Right. Also, Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year 2024, Woo. Year of the Dragon. Yes. Depending on my schedule. If we're not late, this is the year we finish. Ooh. But we'll see what happens. Okay. Well, <laughs> I guess we'll see. Place yes. your bets now. Early 25, worst case. Well, we can do this. It'll be fine. But, yes. So, Serial, how are you doing? What do you remember from last time? Uh, nothing except that here on a post-it, I have Parthamaceris and Axidaris. Axidaris. Exidaris. Exidaris, yeah. Yes, correct. Which were the brothers, right, of the king that we were following. And, oh yeah, I remember it was very disappointing and everything kind of went to hell. Yes. In, like, not a bang, but, like, a sizzle, but also very much, like, purposefully, like, he didn't do a great job. After being handed an empire that was, like, doing better. So that was really annoying. Yeah, those were the last two episodes where there was like a good empire and then it was just slowly driven into a wall. Yeah. And we've been trying to pick up the pieces so far. But hey, maybe today is good. Because <laughs> if you remember, Volagasis IV is a new branch of the dynasty because he usurped either Volagasis III or his heir. So he went from being the son of a minor usurper into being the actual king of kings. So, we have a new branch of the dynasty being inaugurated. Are you optimistic, Serial? Do you think this new branch is going to breathe some new life into the empire, or this new branch is just going to gently lead the empire into an early grave? I mean, we still have, like, a bit less than half of the podcast to go. About, yeah. So, I, I assume not everything is destroyed. <laughs> Things will get better at some point. Yeah, I would like Choosing it to the be point now. Is the you problem. gave me, you know, you gave me a little bit of like, um, <laughs> a bit of, of hope, like two episodes ago or so, and now we're yeah, back to bad. So I'm like, I would like more. I please, can we have like a nice time soon? We can see. Can, cross our fingers and hope that this new branch of the dynasty just means that everything will be cool and fine now. So yeah. no need to worry about all that. In that case, we can start with a little bit of a recap of what happened in recent episodes so we can get back on track. So what happened is that Volagasis I was a great king. That's why we have so many Volagasis, because he did a good job. Volagasis I managed to basically conquer Armenia from the Romans, give it to his brother install a dynasty that will last 400 years, reform the empire, completion centralization, hooray, we've done it. His son, Pacorus II, failed at everything. Yep. So Pacorus II lost territories in the east to the Kushan Empire, lost the west to a usurper called Osroes, lost Armenia to the same usurper called Osroes, <laughs> yep. and was just stuck in the middle in a burning trash pile. And last episode's protagonist, Volagasis III, well, he lost more territories in the east to the Kushans. The west was ransacked by Trajan and his goons. Oh, yeah. They went on this extended raid into Mesopotamia, burning and destroying whatever they could. Then they realized they couldn't hold on to Mesopotamia, so they just ran home. And Hadrian decided, yeah. you know what, sure, you can keep They destroyed everything and then just left. They were like, oh, whoops. Yes. Yes. I guess In that we can't way, keep Trajan it. Was following Never mind. Alexander. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the bright side, Volagasis III managed to retake Mesopotamia after Osiris died, so he sort of reunified the empire at least. It's not doing great, but it's in one piece again, which is okay. And as I mentioned before, he fought a brief civil war with a man called Mithridates IV. Mithridates didn't really receive much success, but his son was Volagasis IV, which is the protagonist from today. 
And through some yeah. weird, strange dealings, Volagasis IV went from being the son of a usurper to king of kings. Yeah, right. We'll we ended discuss like, that a bit more today. Like, huh, that's weird that like he was the chosen one instead of, you know. Yes, instead of like somebody more direct in the line of succession. Yeah. And thinks that Volagasis IV is so distant a cousin that we don't know how exactly he's related to the rest of the dynasty previously. It's just like... We know they were part of the same dynasty, but we have no idea how they were actually connected. Oh, okay. So, so it's not, you know, first cousin. It's more like 16th cousin, 12 times removed or something. Oh, dang. Okay. So there's really so some like, like weird stuff going on there. Yes, you lived in the same geographical area, so I guess it counts. But, you know, who knows? So that's what we have to do today. Will Volagasis IV achieve what his predecessors couldn't will his new breath of fresh air improve the empire or will he just be more of the same let's find out yeah please something interesting so let's start with volagasi's life we're not sure when he was born exactly but we can assume sometime in the early second century call it 100 110 thereabouts and as we mentioned, he wasn't a member of the main Arsakid family, but was from an offshoot that was very distant, very far away. But as a young man, Volagasis had an agitated youth, because, as we mentioned, his father made himself king of the east of the empire, as Mithridates IV, in opposition to Volagasis III. So, we're not sure how it works. It's been suggested that Mithridates and Volagasis IV, consequently, were relatives of Osiroes, the usurper who was ruling in the West. Mm. But sources are very sketchy and we can just make a hypothesis. So maybe that's where they drew the little bit of legitimacy they were calling on. But it could just be that anything else. At this point, it could just be who that knows? Their legitimacy was based on, we have some weapons, might as well use them. <laughs> Let's go. Can you even call this a dynasty if, like, you know... It's a completely different... Like, I guess they yeah, need to it's, tie it's a... it for legitimacy reasons. But, like, at this point, it's just a new, you know... It's yeah, so It's close. It's... Yeah, it's a backup. <laughs> but, yeah, so what happened is the rebellion of Mithridates IV lasted for about a decade. So they were fighting in the east of the empire for a while. But then in about 140, it fizzles out and we lose all contact of Mithridates. So, presumably, he was either just died of natural causes or he was defeated by the king of kings and executed. Hmm. However, regardless of what happened to his father, our Volagasis, Volagasis IV, was spared and managed to find a place at court. So we're not sure how he did this, we're not sure why this happened, but Volagasis finds himself at court in a high position. And then in May 148, something mysterious happened. Because one of two things could have happened. It could be that the old king, Volagasis III, died. And our Volagasis was one of the first people to hear of the king's death. So he used that information and all the contacts he built up in court to make himself elected king. Right. You know. Strategic. Yeah, presumably yeah. dethroning whichever heir Volagasis III had chosen. So that's option one. Jumping at the opportunity, essentially. Like, yes. perfect timing kind of thing. Yeah. Option two is instead that our Volagasis had made all these plans for the succession, and he, he had gathered the appropriate nobles to support him, and he had gathered everything so that it would work out, and he would become king of kings at last. And then he made sure that Volagasis III died at the correct moment to take right. advantage of everything. That is another way to time it, you know? Yeah. So, you know, if all the preparations are ready, why wait for somebody to find you out? Just kill the king and get it over with. Everybody's on board with the coup anyway. Might as well go for it. Yeah, like it's gonna happen. Yeah. So how proactive do you think our boy was for this coup? His father was a usurper. He was in court for a while, acting as a subject for eight years. Do you think he went for the kill, or he actually just waited patiently until the I end? I mean, it would have made sense, especially if he was preparing beforehand. Like, premeditated, you know. Yeah, he clearly wasn't taken by surprise by the death. You know, he yeah. had everything in order to become king, despite Either it was obvious for some other reason, right you know, it. like, it, the guy was sick or something, and they had been, like, 
I mean, he was an old this. man, to be fair. So, yeah. you know, it's not a surprise that humans die. So I guess it depends how ready he was. But yeah, I wouldn't put it past, you know, just being like, well, I guess, you know, we have everything. Why yeah. wait? Yeah, I, I like the idea of the murder because at that point, once you've prepared a coup, yeah. you know, why wait? That's the thing. is <laughs> like they, ha- they were well going to do it. it. Either the guy dies yeah, or we kill him. So... Yeah, exactly. So that affects Volagasis III's life, but not Volagasis IV's. In the end, a coup is made. Yeah. Congratulations, Volagasis IV. You are now king of kings. Something which your father attempted but could never achieve, and presumably died trying. Yeah. Well. So, hooray! What can we do with Volagasis? What do we want to do? Well, there are a few issues to try and deal with in the Empire. First of all, the war with Rome. Last king, we had a war with Rome, and it was utterly humiliating. God, like don't we even... didn't lose, but the capital got captured. Yeah, didn't we? Solution actually, Lucia was burned to the ground. You say we didn't lose, but like, agree to disagree. Uh, I mean, we didn't lose Mesopotamia. Let's say we managed to keep it at, in the empire. It's not a Roman province. Yeah, thank God. And Armenia is also under a Parthian prince, so you know it's neutral right now. But eh. I love that Armenia is not allowed to have their own politics. No. (laughs) That's what happens when you're between two superpowers. You just accept what comes to you. You just choose who to side with when it's convenient and hope they won't hit you too hard. Yeah. So Volagasis needs to try and, you know, clear up the situation. He doesn't want the stain on Parthian honor to remain, so he starts planning a war against Romans to try and fight back. So he begins planning a war early on in his reign. But then he receives some letters from Antoninus Pius, the Roman emperor, Mm -hmm. and uh, things get relatively calmed down. It looks like Volagasis asked the Romans for the throne that Trajan had taken from Tessaphon. But the Romans being Romans said, no, we're keeping it. It's a nice throne. Make your own throne. Yeah. So that, that probably yeah. didn't make Volagasis too happy. It was slightly annoying, but... Okay, I guess if the Romans are making some sort of concessions, presumably Antoninus Pius is convincing him that it's not worth starting a war over this, so... Yeah, no, it certainly is Okay, isn't. fine. We'll wait a little bit. It'll be fine. Also, incidentally, in 148, this is the year that Volagasis comes to the throne, this is the year that Anshigao gets to China, so... Oh. The guy who may be Parthamasiris was, and after he became a Buddhist monk, has gotten to that point. Oh. If you subscribe to that theory, which is fun, but I don't believe. <laughs> okay, and we're not fighting with Rome. What else do we have to do? There's so much to do, Serial. There's a lot to do. Well, I mean, everything is on fire, so... Yeah, exactly. So Volagasis decides that it's time to consolidate the empire. We've had a Finally. ton of usurpers... The problem is that when the Romans came through, all of our vassal kings in the West just switched sides to the Romans. And they didn't offer any resistance. That's not a good look. We need to fix that, please. So, Volagasis went all the way to the kingdom of Karakine at the mouth of the Euphrates, the kingdom that had just flipped to Trajan's side and had presumably remained semi-independent in the years since. So, Volagasis pops over, conquers the kingdom, And he leaves a nice inscription saying that he's son of Mithridates. That's how we know the coup happened. Mm. That's how we know that he's not the quote-unquote official heir. He told on himself, oh no. Well, you know, he's saying I'm the son of Mithridates and I'm a member of the dynasty. I was voted in by the nobles. So shut up. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) I mean, that is (laughs) how how our political system works. You do 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 choose. So yeah, I guess. Yeah. The fact that it was a coup has nothing to do with it. It was a legal coup. Yeah. It was a coup that the people supported, so... Yeah. And also, Volagasis appoints a relative from his side of the family, so from this distant or Sackett branch, as king of Karakine, so that we'll be in control of that area. It's not part of allies of Volagasis III and his family. It's going to be part of our family, this new mm. branch we're building up. And fortunately for Volagasis, while Karakine was semi-independent, it had extended its control to Bahrain and Oman. 
So we are now basically in control of most of the Persian Gulf now that Karakin is back in the fold. Hmm. So that's quite nice. The empire has expanded slightly, which is impressive. Yeah. And that means that any trade that goes through Mesopotamia by sea as well is going to have to pay taxes to us. So that's improving mm, the status of the empire. Make the empire. empire is going better. Yeah. The Romans can still bypass us by going through the Red Sea, which is less than ideal. But, you know, if anybody wants the more direct route through either Iran or the Persian Gulf, well, they can do that and we can take advantage of it. And that it, way, nice. maybe the Romans won't be that annoyed that we do this and we don't, like, incite another war because they don't want to pay taxes or something. Yeah. So, okay, now we've consolidated the empire, we've improved our trade. Time to get back on the Roman thing. Hmm. Because, Sarah, you know what the problem's been so far? Oh, tell me, please. The problem has been that every single time Rome and Parthia have been at war, it was Rome declaring war. Oh, that is, We've yes, We've never you're declared right. war a single time. This is the problem. Of all the problems we yes. could be having, this is the one that I'm worried about. So, Volagasis thinks, you know what, the Romans have always managed to have the initiative on us. If we get the initiative on them, this is how we win. It, it definitely, that's why. That's why we've lost before. We'll see how well the logic works. <laughs> like, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> because Antoninus Pius dies in 161, and he's succeeded by two young emperors, Marcus Aurelius and Lucius Verus. Oh, this will go great. You know, it's not... Yeah. They're just some emperors. Like, nobody has heard of them. Yeah. They're just random emperors. They're kids. They're young. They're inexperienced. There's a succession. Who knows? There might be a usurper or something. You know, successions are always messy periods. So, as soon as Volagasis hears the news, he declares war against Rome, the only time Parthia ever attacks Rome. Wow. Terrible choice. Like, properly terrible. (laughs) yeah we don't know what the justification for war was but presumably it doesn't take much imagination to assume that probably something to do with armenia yeah you know something who knows somebody wants to replace an armenian king and it would also make sense that volagasis would want to put a member of his side of the family on the armenian throne and not a member of the dethroned dynasty on the throne because That would make things iffy in case anybody tries to usurp him. So, okay, the war starts and uh, Volgasius tries to make some inroads, but the Romans seem to be prepared well enough because it looks like the Roman governor bordering Armenia decides to follow the path that Trajan had followed a few decades earlier. He thinks if it worked last time, why can't it work this time? Hmm. Also, he is trusting in the prophecy of a man called Alexander. The prophecy. I love that it's like, ah, yes. yes. And then there's also a prophecy oh, that so we're using to make military decisions. Yes. This Alexander is the Alexander of Abnatychus, which is an option in our Patreon series if you mm. want to vote for it. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Subscribe to Patreon. <laughs> it's flawless. <laughs> Just seamless yes. plug. There we go. Yes. Incidentally, this Alexander of Abnatychus is the creator of the god Glycon. Oh, I don't know that god. Well, it seems to have been a taxidermy snake with a series of tubes that go into it through which an assistant could make prophecies through the snake god. That is so cool. Yes, it's apparently the god that Alan Moore, the comic writer, worships. Oh. Because he said that it's better to worship a god that you're sure is a fraud than one that might be. So... Very Fair smart. enough. Yeah. Fair enough, Mr. Moore. Good on you. On brand. Yeah. But anyway, the prophecy given to the Roman governor was the following. Under your charging spear shall fall Armenians and Parthians. Then you shall fare to Rome and the glorious waters of Tiber, wearing upon your brow the chaplet studded with sunbeams. Uh-huh. So how do you think this expedition went, Serial? Does that sound like a good prophecy? Yeah, I mean, I want to wear, what was it, studded with sunbeams? A chaplet studded with sunbeams, that's a look. That sounds amazing. Yeah. 
Well, Volagasi surrounded the Roman army and killed almost all of them. <laughs> None of them made it out. It was a terrible massacre. So, hooray! Parthia wins! Yeah. I thought it would go really badly because, you know... No, it's been going well. The plan has been working out so far. And I love that this Alexander modified the prophecy after everything had failed to say, no, 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 he, he misheard the prophecy. It's actually this. <laughs> it was better for you that your forces against Armenia march not, ah. lest some man See, like that a is, woman bedight that is like a from his crucial part of the prophecy, you know. Yes. And the sunlight was grim death cutting you off from all life and enjoyment oh. of sunlight. So that, that's what the sun... You misheard me. I meant to say you would die horribly, not you would have a glorious future. Uh, well... It's easy to mix those up. Yeah. Which is it apparently happens. something that this Alexander did a lot, which is why I thought it would be fun to have an extra episode on him. <laughs> Turns but, out we were wrong. <laughs> Yes. Whoops. Actually, no, I just I misinterpreted the prophecy. It was right all along. <laughs> I just, my bad. Actually, I didn't misinterpret it. You misinterpreted it. Yes. I was, you were wrong. I knew all along. I tried to warn you, but like, you know. Yes. I thought it was weird you're going up to war after the prophecy I gave you, but, you know, I respect your decision. But yay, okay. So, Volagasis has destroyed a Roman army. Nice. Let's go. Finally, a win. Yes, so he marches all the way to the crossing of the Euphrates, border between the two empires, and he made the king of Edessa his vassal. So he manages to capture the river crossing without having to fight anybody, it just wins. Nice. We love that. He then marches into Syria, and he defeats the local Syrian governor so severely that, despite the Roman army still existing, Volagasis is free to do whatever he likes in Syria. Wow. Syria is free, he can do whatever. They probably just have enough to protect a few key cities, but the province itself is open. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it looks like, considering that there were five whole legions in Syria, Ooh. it looks like these defeats were much worse than what happened in Armenia, because, you know, Crassus's defeat was seven legions. We've gotten rid of four or five, at least. So, things are going well. Volagasis is doing a I am, great job. Yeah, I did, I'm still, like... Trying to process because I expected this to go so wrong. Yeah, but no. Although, annoyingly enough, the Roman sources don't give details. Yeah, of course. Why would they? Because it's like... They lost. Uh, I mean, it was just a thing. We were just like... We weren't even trying anyway. It was just, it was just like a prophecy. They caught us like off guard. Guys. They were really unsportsmanlike because we were still recovering from drinking the night before. And like they didn't say when they wanted to meet up. And then we were late. And I don't know. It doesn't even count, bro. And with all these serious Roman defeats, the population of Syria starts popping up a few small rebellions in different huh. cities, saying, well, the Parthians are winning. I want to be on the winning side. I don't want to be murdered with the rest of my family. I would like to win, please. Thank you. So things are hotting up, and Syria starts to become a bubbling cauldron of chaos. Yeah. I mean, you know, with yes. war happening... It's at this point that the Romans decide things have become serious. We should send one of our two emperors to deal with the situation. <laughs> one of the two that we have right now. So, Serial, who do you think they send? The wise, scholarly, bookish Marcus Aurelius or the wild party boy Lucius Verus? Well, I was going to say the military one, but like if Lucius Verus is There is, is no party military boy, one. Yeah, exactly. We don't have one. <laughs> we don't have one of those, Serial. Then... It depends how bad it is, because, like, Marcus Aurelius would be a wiser choice since he seems more, like, intelligent. But maybe they care about him too much and they're like, he's just gonna die if we send him there. <laughs> Let's enough. send the party boy. Also, did they like Lucius Verus? Depends on the accounts you read. According to certain accounts, Lucius Verus only got made emperor because... His father was meant to succeed, and everybody felt oh. bad for him because he was orphaned at a young age. So they thought, yeah, I guess. Marcus Aurelius is a bit uptight, so maybe you can lighten him up. Hmm. Let's see how it goes. Yeah, this doesn't usually work out very well, no. having two emperors. Hmm. Yeah, no, tell me. I'm curious now. Yes, well, what happens is that they send Lucius Verus because yeah. they think Marcus can stay in Rome and administer things from there. Lucius Verus can 
going to organize the army. Like, he doesn't know what he's doing, but all we need is a figurehead to just be there and say, the Empire hasn't forgotten you. Actual competent generals are going to be doing their job now, but Lucius Verus is here to make a big show of it. And, well, Lucius Verus is kind of concerned, because when he gets to Antioch in Syria, he is worried about the condition of the province, and he sends a peace offer to Volagasis. We're not sure what the peace offer is, but we know that Volagasis decided that he can probably get a better deal if he keeps fighting. The Romans are on the back foot. Let's just press our advantage. Hmm. So, war it is. Well, the next year, the Romans began their counterattack. So it started with an invasion of Armenia, where they conquered the Armenian capital and appointed a new king. Seemingly without much resistance, as we don't really get any reports of battles or a long campaign. And at the same time, another group crossed the Euphrates into Parthia and won a large battle against the Parthian forces. So we've kind of lost a lot of the advantages we've gotten so far now that the Romans are here in full force. It turns out, yeah. Yeah. It turns out that the Roman victory was large enough that Volagasis requested and obtained a ceasefire. Oh, okay. So he said, okay, let's just calm down. Let's be cool. Let's be cool, everybody. Let's not do anything crazy. But at that, at that time, the Roman army marched to Seleucia Tessaphon to negotiate the peace. Mm-hmm. But for some reason that we don't really have, uh? related to somebody violating the treaty... The Romans say that, oh, it was the Parthians who attacked us during the peace negotiations. That's why we had to kill a bunch of civilians. Wait, what? I... And the Parthian sources we don't have, I assume, would say the other way. Oh, no. And we don't know. No. But yes, no. we don't know. We know that somebody violated the peace treaty that was being yeah. signed. And realistically, since it was the Romans in front of the capital with its gates open. Yeah. You know, it would be their advantage to violate the treaty and just sack the city and say, shh, the Parthians did it. Yeah, they also didn't keep the records, so, like, very convenient. Yeah. Mm. We don't know. It's messy. But apparently the Roman army sacked the city of Seleucia, which had already been sacked by Trajan a generation earlier. Mm. What is there left to sack? Guys... Apparently, the city was still large enough. It had 400,000 inhabitants. It was now becoming a suburb of Tessaphon, but hmm. because of this reason, Tessaphon becomes more important and Seleucia just fades away because hmm. it's being terribly sacked. So the Romans murder a bunch of the inhabitants, tens of thousands of them, and they hmm. took away 40,000 of them as slaves. The sacking was so bad that the city would not recover. It would just fade away in the next decades, and Tesphon would entirely take its place. Mm. So the city that was founded by Seleucus Nicator, Seleucus I, all those years ago, is now a bit more than a smoldering ruin, but not much more. Oh God. That's really sad. We said that it might be that the Romans broke the peace treaty, it might be that the Parthians broke the peace treaty. A third option, which is worse for Seleucia, is that... Seleucia was one of those cities that was constantly rebelling, like it was independent you oh, know, a few yeah. centuries ago, and, you know, it was always rebelling, it was strongly Greek-influenced, they always had a very independent streak, so it's possible that they rebelled when they saw the Romans in front of them and opened their gates to the Romans, oh. and when the Romans were going into the city, the actual Parthian loyalists attacked them because they thought they were violating the treaty, and oh. that led to the city being sacked. Oh, damn. Yeah, that would have been an worse for everything because then it would have been for nothing, like because of a misunderstanding. Yeah, it would have been your own damn fault, which is just terrible. Cool. Like, I assume since we don't have a record of this, this is just like speculation from someone or... Yeah, this is just speculation. The thing is that we know Seleucia often rebelled. We know yeah. that when Trajan came over, Seleucia opened its gates. So Imagine maybe they the did the same thing here. Of and the historian uh, who, who like put this together and was like, oh no, guys, what if this is what happened? Let me give it an yes. even grimmer, like... Yeah, I mean, at some point you just need to use creative license and say, this could have happened. Might be interesting. Let's see. Yeah. 
And yeah, after Seleucia itself was sacked, the Romans decided we destroyed one city, might as well go for round two. So they captured Tesphon again and destroyed Volagasi's palace there. And it looks like the Romans then planned to march further into Iran and had reportedly begun moving into Media when they suddenly stopped. Why do you think they stopped, Serial? What possible cause could there be for the Romans to stop an invasion? Did they lose their emperor? Not yet. <laughs> I don't know. Money? Like... No, worse. <laughs> what happened oh, is that while raiding Seleucia and, you know, deporting 40,000 people, yeah. somebody was sick. And they had a lot of little blisters. Oh, no. healthy. Okay, soon yeah. died. Illness, yeah, 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 the plague. Soon, a terrible epidemic, probably smallpox, spread among the invaders. And it was so serious that the Romans had to abandon their loot and start retreating wow. because, oh god, oh god, oh god. It'll kill them all, yeah. Yes, this is the Antonine Plague. The Antonine Plague is one of the terrible plagues of antiquity and one of the causes for the end of the Roman Golden Age. Wow. Yeah, plague would be doing that. The estimate of deaths is 5 to 10 million with a 25% fatality rate. Oof. So, not a fun time. And the Historia Augusta, which fans of Totalis Rankium will know, mm. but non-fans of Totalis Rankium, why, first of all, Second, <laughs> the Historia Augusta is basically the most unreliable source, presumably written by a bunch of students in a bar one time while they were all out getting drunk. But according to Historia Augusta, this plague emerged from a gold casket in the Temple of Apollo at Seleucia. Of course. So while the Romans were ransacking the city, they opened this casket hoping to find treasure, but found only a cursed vapor which infected them and destroyed the army from within. I mean, might as well, you know. Apollo is the god of both illness and health. Yeah. And, like, if you want to explain it that way, sure. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, we only hear of the plague from the Romans at this point, but it's also reasonable to assume that Volagasis was doing really well at the start of the war, but poorly later. It might be that the plague had broken out, like, a yeah. year earlier. And that weakened him and made sure that he wasn't really able to fully put yeah. up a resistance as he would have liked to. So that's unfortunate. Not great. But the Romans are at least retreating out of Mesopotamia. It's followed by a rapid Parthian advance, which retook the lands, expelled the Roman king of Armenia, and they put on a new one. Things got fuzzy. Things got weird. The Romans took a control of a few minor border kingdoms. Then they came back and put their candidate on the Armenian throne. It's still an Arsacid prince, but it's more Roman-sided, so a bit messy. We don't really have many sources, unfortunately. But in the end, we managed to conclude a peace because there's plague in both our empires. Let's Yeah, stop. nobody has time for war right now. Yeah. War is against the plague. Yeah. So... We had a very unsatisfying peace treaty, especially considering how well the war had started. Hmm. Because Volagasis had to accept the Roman king of Armenia. So, Armenia is now a Roman puppet. That sucks. It's hmm. still a distant cousin, but not fun. We lost it. Yeah. And for the first time, we had to lose the nice, clean Euphrates border in the west. Oh. So, from the time of Mithridates I... The Euphrates has been the Parthian border in the west. But now the Romans are given a tiny bit in northern Mesopotamia, east of the Kabur River, which then ends up in the Euphrates, but they've sort of like taken a little bite out of the north of Mesopotamia. They've taken mm. one river valley, which is not fun. And it is also the first time Rome has ever taken away Parthian land. So, not a good outcome. It's not much land, but... It's still just a bad sign in general. Mm -hmm. So peace was established at last, and Volagasis returned home to lick his wounds. Volagasis then received news from Jessica. Oh. Jessica came over with a nice letter. Is the plague over? No, the plague is still going on. Cough, cough. Mm. Oh no, Jessica. We haven't invented antibiotics yet, but, you know, hold tight for another 
1,900 years and you'll make it. But Jessica tells Fulgasis, hey, you know that Marcus Aurelius guy? Yeah, it turns out there's a usurper in Egypt who has declared himself emperor and wants to defeat Marcus Aurelius. So, that sounds nice. Yeah, fun. I like that idea. So, Volagasi sends a letter to this man called Avidius Cassius and says, Hey, listen, if you need Parthian soldiers to overthrow the Romans, we're all for it. Just tell me, and I'm happy to help. We can work out some deal over Armenia later. The problem is that this whole usurpation died really quickly because Avidius Cassius had made himself emperor thinking that Marcus Aurelius had died of disease oh, in no. Germany. And he didn't know that the emperor was still alive. Right. When Marcus Aurelius told everybody, hey, I'm alive, P.S. Commodus is my heir now because I need an heir in case I die in this war. Well, Avidius Cassius's men were so terrified about what was going to happen that they just killed the man they made oh, emperor no. and usurpation over. Guys, sorry, we f***ed up. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't mean to. Messed up, guys. Sorry. It happens. So, yeah. Volgasis doesn't get much out of the Civil War. He sent a letter. It could have been better. Hmm. And yeah, the, the rest of the reign seems to have been relatively peaceful, which is nice. We don't hear any news of any usurpers, which is great. Also, considering how poorly the war with Romans had gone, you know, it's just bad optics in general. The capital was sacked, mm. and we had to lose some land in the West. So this presumes that Volagasis had a really good handle on the nobles, and they all either respected him or had some reason to care. Yeah. So that went well fever, enough. That's I nice. Guess. Yeah. He managed to control them, which is more than you can say for most of our kings. Yep. The nobles. And that's when we arrive to September of 191, when we get new coins appearing from Tessaphon. Oh, okay. These coins are from a Volagasis V. Okay. Um, did I miss something? Now, the thing is that we get these coins at the same time as coins from Volagasis IV, our protagonist. Okay. So, presumably, what it means is that Volagasis IV has managed to have a son and appoint him as heir. Good. Okay. By this time, Volagasis IV is in his 80s at best. 90s at worst. So he's clearly an old man and is clearly understanding that the succession needs to come. Yeah. He understands that a succession is a delicate point. He usurped mm -hmm. one. He knows how <laughs> these things work. How do I not get myself in the same thing I did to someone else? Yeah. Which, you know, hire a hacker for your security team. That's kind of yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. It helps. And yeah, so Volagasis IV appoints his son as heir. We can assume he was getting sick because six months later, in March of 192, Volagasis IV died of natural causes, we can only assume. And he left a nice, clean succession to his son. So he managed to inaugurate his new branch of the Arsacid dynasty without any trouble. And his son succeeded peacefully, so... Good job. Usurpation successful. Nice. We'll see how his son will be able to do. Volagasis V, The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> so, what are your thoughts, Errol? What do you think of Volagasis IV? How does he stack up with expectations? Are you happy? Sad? It was interesting. I mean, at least it went places, you know? Like, there was some development. We didn't immediately burn. I am happy with... It wasn't easy. There were some... Yeah, I feel like parts, if the plague parts. hadn't happened, it would have been so much yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah, but that's how plagues tend yeah. to... Yeah. Because, you know, he was doing really well at the start of the Roman War, and, you know, maybe mm -hmm. he could have just gotten a piece there, but then the plague struck, and it was like, oh no, we need to run away because we're all dying. Yeah. You put everything else on hold because, you know. Yeah. Also, it's nice that there are no usurpations. That's really surprising. Like, this is a usurpation-heavy time period. Yeah. And he was the only king in charge during his entire reign. Which is very impressive. It seems a simple thing to say, but it hasn't been simple. We haven't had that since. Since? <laughs> uh, Frati's the fourth, maybe? It's been a while since we've had a king that was 
just him being king for a while and nobody usurps him. So, you know, good job, Volagasis. Uh, yeah, I just feel he was unlucky. Could have been better, but he did a good enough job, I suppose. Okay, well, at this point, are you ready to rate him, Sarah? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So our first category is final moments. How interesting was his death? Fading away in his 80s or 90s after a long life, well-lived, with an heir that is secure. The death itself, not that interesting. The fact that he, like, tied up the empire, great. Yeah, again, I feel like the death isn't great. I'd say just, like, a one. But I like that the fact that, you know, it's been a terrible, chaotic period, and he managed to just see the end coming, tie up his affairs. Like, very impressive. Make it all work. I kind of want to give him more points for that, but I think those points might come in, like, Ehrenshine or... You can see, I mean, you give him as many points as you like here. Well, it's not because of the death, though. It's just, like, how well he managed to do things before passing. That's true. I still feel like I I go for a one. I won't go for a zero, you know? I'll go for a one. It was a good way out. Yeah, your match. Okay, so with a one and a one, we get a one out of ten for final moments. Our next category is battle hardness. How good was he at war and fighting? A story of two parts, Mm. really. I mean... Partially. So first of all, he declares war on Rome for the first and only yeah. time in Parthian history. I'm glad it went well. That's impressive. It That's surprising. Worse. Yeah. And it works out really well for him. Like, he starts, the Romans try to invade through Armenia, he destroys their army. He then marches into Syria, finds an army there, destroys it as well, and then he just has free reign across Syria, and he takes some nice border kingdoms. Yeah. That's pleasant. That's good. That's a good job. The problems come later on, because we hear that there is one defeat of the Parthian army in Mesopotamia, and then the capital is sacked. Mm. To soften those blows, I can say that the army was defeated when there was a terrible plague that kills a quarter yeah, of the so people Yeah, so was it really like it. a military defeat, or was it like the plague? So yeah, was it a military defeat, or was it, we can barely stand, please stop shooting us? It's terrifying. So, you know, we have literally no details about this battle. We just know that Romans won the end. So who knows how, you know, was it like a fair fight or was it the Parthians were just dying left and right and this was all they could do to secure retreat? Who knows? And then the sacking of the capital, that was just betrayal. Yep. Like, the Roman army was outside the capital to negotiate a peace, and then, through whatever reason, somebody violated this truce, and the Romans just burnt everything to the ground. So I, I'm i reluctant to consider that Volagasi's fault. I feel that when he was in charge, he did a good job. So honestly, let's put it this way. I think that I would give him a six if things had ended before the Roman counterattack. Yeah. Since the Romans counterattacked, I'm going to remove one point for the defeat in battle because of plague. Yeah. One point and a half. And then half a point for the capital sacking. Yeah. So I'd go around for a four. Which is still pretty good. I think he did a good job. The but... odds were against him. Yeah, I feel he's just yeah. very unlucky. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Yeah, so I'm going for a four. Yeah, I think that's matching a good, as well. you know, it makes sense. So. so with a four and a four, we get an eight out of 20 for a battle hardness. Huzzah. Our next category is scheminess. How good was he at plots and manipulations? Well, there is one big one that we know of. The big one is that he is from an entirely different branch of the family, the Volgasis III. So he planned a coup and executed it perfectly. Did he kill the previous king? We don't know. But, you know, he killed his dynasty, certainly. And made himself very legitimate. Does this have some point? Yeah, you know, he made himself so legitimate that he had no usurpers. Yeah, less points than if we didn't know because he did it so well, but, like, then we wouldn't know anyway, so... Yeah, also, again, against him, we can say that we have no details of this coup. You know, we presume it happened because we know he was the son of a usurper and somehow became king, but no sources tell us that he usurped the throne. Oh, then he did it really well. His coins start appearing. Okay, yeah, Yeah, exactly. 
he does deserve points for that. So I feel like it's a good scheme, but I would have liked more detail, or any detail, really. But I think that he deserves a good shot. Like, this isn't Darius level, but I feel like if we had the detail, it could be Darius yeah. level. Yeah. Because nobody says you're a usurper. We only know you're a usurper because you're telling us your father's name. Your dynasty is the one that continues on. Mm -hmm. And you have literally zero usurpers during your reign. So whatever you did was a perfect coup. So I'm hovering around five. I could go up or down. What are your thoughts, Ariel? Well, I'm tempted to go for a nine. A nine? Damn. Okay. Because like... That's really impressive. I don't know what else. Uh, we also don't have many skeevy characters. No, not in a while. Mostly the Parthians don't have yeah, the exactly. sources to so give why, you the schemes. Why is it less to you? Because like, I go off of vibes. It's less to me because so. we don't know anything about it. Eh, that's fair. It's less to me because, again, we don't know it, that a coup well, happened. Excuse mean, we me. We know that a coup happened, but we know yeah. nothing about it. Maybe it was very messy. Maybe he wasn't skeevy. Maybe it was just... Yeah, maybe he just killed everybody in the room and said, okay, there are no usurpers because I've killed them all. Which, you know, one way to do it. We just don't know. Yeah. So I wouldn't... <sighs> See, I'd be willing to go up to like a seven because, again, beautiful, clean scheme, mm -hmm. beautiful, clean coup. Good. I wouldn't go higher because we have okay. no details. Like for Darius who got... Darius got a 10. So fine, great. But with Darius, we had the whole plot where... He killed the king. We have a whole scene of how it happened. Yeah, that's we true. Have we had the entire together. which like makes me it's, doubt it's that good. there's most a lot of, it of actually there. True. But you know, old most sources. of it's probably not true. But you know, we at least have the information. Mm -hmm. And so with Volagasis, I feel like if we knew it, I think it would probably be an as good story. But we don't, so you know. So we don't. I feel like a seven is the most I can go. But you have convinced me upwards. You could still go for a nine if you think it's worthy. If you want to reward initiative, <laughs> go for it. No, I mean, maybe that is too high. Like, too much Darius levels of badassery. Like, other high scheminess people were Antiochus the Great with the, oh no, my advisors made me do it. Alexander the Great with the killing his father bit. We and, haven't had you know, that yet. A whole bunch of conspiracies to be on the throne. Musa, who did the whole become queen from no, a No, that was, yeah, thing. that was very impressive. I'll go for a eight then. Eight? Fair yeah. enough. I'll be a seven. So with a seven and an eight, we get a 15 out of 20 for scheminess, which is a very impressive score. It makes him... I mean, is this... Tied top fourth for... Uh, like, it's very impressive to so he is tied yeah, with to put together the a coup that like worked that well, you know. When you actually pull it off, because yeah. usually we see a lot of these, but they usually don't, you know, go anywhere. Yeah. Okay, our next category is shock factor. How shocking was this man? Again, due to sources, we don't know much. The only thing that we do know is he started a coup. Mm. That's a little bit shocking, but not much. I would give him like yeah. a point or two at most because coups are a dime a dozen or, you know, usurpations yeah. are a dime a dozen. The thing that is maybe is that maybe he killed his predecessor. We don't know. Depending on your thought, he may have killed his predecessor or may have not. And then he's also the first and only Parthian king to declare war True. on Rome. That was really cool, yeah. As opposed to the other way around. That's unusual. That's new. So I feel like that deserves something. That deserves some points. Nothing huge, but a little bit. And otherwise, I don't know if you want to consider it shocking that he has nobody try and take his throne from him and everything runs I mean, smoothly. That's just, that <laughs> like, speaks, what did yeah, he do that to the nobles his, to like, make sure that everybody was there? Being good at his job, I guess. Not necessarily being good at yeah. being... I mean, I guess he was a decent emperor, like, you know, things went for the better. But, like, good at his job politically-wise. Yeah. I feel like for shock factor, I'm going for a three, because I believe he killed yeah. Volagasis III, because if you've organized a coup, why wait for the old yeah. man to die? Just stuff a pillow <laughs> over his face, yep. and you're done. Fair enough. And then declaring war against Rome, yes, and just the coup gets a one. So I feel like a th I'm happy with a three. How yeah. about you? Sounds, yeah, yeah. Three as well. Okay, Not that nice. shocking, but like a lot of little things. 
Yeah, it, it adds up over the way. So with a 3 and a 3, we get a 6 out of 20 for Shock Factor. Our next category is Aaron Shine. How good was he for the Empire in general and Iran in particular? He did reasonably well. So let's look at his achievements. He had a war with Rome, which went reasonably well at the start, then faded away at the end. The ending of the peace treaty was not great because the capital was sacked and we lost a bit of land for the first time in our history, at least Mm -hmm. to the Romans. So that's not ideal. Armenia is also now a Roman puppet. We didn't have it before, but it's, you know, leaves Mm -hmm. a bad taste in your mouth. And the downside is that there was a plague, but what could he have done? (laughs) Modern medicine did not exist then. The best you could do is pray and hope that it passes. It is terrifying. It is terrifying now with modern medicine, so... Oh, yeah, I mean... But at least you might not die. Imagine COVID, but one in four people die. And if you don't, you end up, you know, severely damaged. Or you you, have a really bad time (laughs) while sick. Yeah. Not good. But yeah, on the positives, he has a lot going for him. He keeps the empire stable. There are no civil wars during his entire reign, which we'll find out, but it's long. So he rules for a long time, no rebellions. That's good. He retakes Karakine, which had drifted away in previous years. So he's restoring the empire in southern Mesopotamia. And not only that, he is basically adding... Bahrain and Oman to the empire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really good. So the fact that like we actually not only like consolidated but also expanded was very impressive. Yeah, trade is flowing through the Persian Gulf really well. So that's nice. The empire is solid and stable. And then we know that he managed to appoint an heir and have his heir succeed him without any trouble. Yeah, also great. So the empire is doing a lot better than it was under our previous two kings, where it was under constant civil war on fire. Mm-hmm. We don't hear of any reforms, but that's just because we don't hear of anything. Yeah. That's just because we have no sources, and some people that are coming have an interest in not showing these people as being too competent. Mm. I see. We'll find out. Yeah. But Okay, so we don't have sources... Because the future got rid of the sources, like on yes, purpose. Yes, the future got rid of the sources, and uh, you know, maybe he was great, maybe he did a great... I mean, he kept the Empire stable for decades. Yeah. He must have been doing something right. Of course. That not one noble decided, sure, I'll try a rebellion just for fun. No, it was just, everything's at peace, we're great. So, overall, I feel like I would go for a six. Because I feel like the empire is better off than yeah. it was before. Yes, we lost a war with Rome. Yes, the capital I was I mean, besieged. things happened, which, like, of course, it's also part of the... Like, we need to count it as, like, it happened during his reign. So, but, like, it wasn't mm. his fault that there was a plague, for example, right? Yeah. And, so, yeah, yeah no. it takes points off, but, like, it could have been so much worse and it actually got better. Which is very impressive. Yeah, I would like to give him more than a six. I think he would yeah. deserve more yeah. than a six if we knew more. But as things stands, I think six is fine. The Empire improved a little bit. Some things got worse, but some things got a lot better. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, six. You matching? Yeah, actually, yeah. Like, I also wanted to go higher, but, like, it, it is what it is. Yeah. He deserves more. Okay. So, with a six and a six, we get a 12 out of 20 for Aaron Shine. Amazing. Which is a very high score for Parthian standards. One, two, three... Four, five, sixth highest score for Parthian standards, just behind Artabanus the Third, which did quite some reform. So he's doing well. Hmm. Okay, our next category is face of faces. What did this man look like? And done. Nice. Okay. Enjoy. So Serial has <laughs> finished their drawing. Let me pick it up and describe it to you all. Ooh. Okay. That's surprising. Yeah. Interesting. I like it. So what we have is, I don't know if that is the inspiration or if that's just what it looks like to me, but it reminds me a lot of the cartoon Hercules. Is it meant to be that Uh, or no? No. Wait. No? Okay, fine. What? Is that the right one? I think it is, yes. But, okay, because Why? what we have here, I'll describe it. I'll explain my reasoning afterwards. But 
oh, I see what you mean. Oh my god, I was like, there what? What? <laughs> yes. Okay, but it was not meant to be that. It no, no, no. To be That's that. just okay, yeah, fine. coincidence. So what we have is our king Volagasis. Volagasis is there. He is up to his chest in a bunch of spooky skulls that are just clawing at him, being all plaguey and terrible. And oh no, why why must it be plague? And Volagasis is there. He has a nice scruffy beard. He is grabbing onto a ledge with one hand, and with the other hand, he is raising up a diadem, keeping it away from the plague, trying to keep the empire in order, trying to stop everything from collapsing. And he has a beautiful crown with a series of nice spikes going along the middle as a little crest, and some side wings over the ears. Yeah, because you mentioned, you know. Yes, so you can see Volagasi's doing his best to try and keep the empire above water, try and not drown. And yeah, he has been doing a reasonably good job so far, at least. And yeah, why I mentioned the Disney movie Hercules is because it reminds me of like the river of yeah. the dead. When Hercules Hades gets out. Is, and is, when Hercules yeah. dives in, has to get out. Yeah. So there we go. So thank you very much, Serial. That was a lovely drawing. If any of you would like to see it, if you're a patron, go on our Discord. Or otherwise, you can go in the notes of the episode or on our website in Serial's Portrait Gallery. And now let me show Serial what Olegasis actually look like, and they can tell us what they think. So here's Volagasis. Behold, a man. <laughs> this coin is so, like, funny looking for some reason. Um, yeah. I think it's his eye is so far down, you know. The eye is a his bit eye weird, is in yes. the middle of his cheek. But yeah, it's a coin with a side profile of this guy with a very like square shaped beard or like rectangular mm -hmm. shaped beard. Um like very well um combed. Yeah. Uh and a fun hairdo or part of the hat, I don't know, like the hair going down the back. Yeah, I, I feel like it's part of the hat. It probably. I can't, it looks too regular to be here. But, hair, you know, but maybe again, it's just well stylized. Stylized, it might be. And the hat does have this little, like, horns or wings on the side and the thorns on the very top, which, like, is why I drew them, because Umberto told me. Because sometimes I'm like, okay, if I don't have much of an idea, we haven't had a description of the person, I'll be like, okay, tell me, like, something that is on the on the portrait that I can, you know, incorporate. Um, yeah. yeah, he's wearing some robe and some uh, necklaces, maybe. There's this, this symbol on the right side, which, I don't know. I don't know what that is. It, it looks like a beta, but yeah, which could stand for Volagasis, yeah. but I don't know what it is. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's a very stylized coin. This At this point, a bit more, and we will get logos on coins, but... Yeah, it's... We go a weird way, because Parthian coins, they speed towards the stylization direction. Yeah. And then eventually, when we get a new dynasty, Spoilers. we'll just go entirely the opposite direction. Ooh, and be like <laughs> super like detailed. So many, yes. Wow. Interesting. I mean, so I, I, like the, why, I like the simplified ones. I like the conscious thought, but it was interesting. Especially because it's still the faces of a person. You're not like using like a shield or like, you know, a crest or something like that. So it's still a face, and I guess it has to be recognizable as just not like king but as in this particular king yeah, so it's a king so you need to like simplify the person into but i don't know i mean it's funny it's not that different from other coins we've seen so i don't know if i would like go for much yeah my thought is a four ish yeah i do like that the eye is weird but it's not like yeah, like again, it it's is not super memorable coin it's a bit it's... funny but like i don't know if that's enough yeah. to you you know it's better than others, but it's not the sort of coin where it's like, oh, you have to see this one coin. It's amazing. It's just like, eh, fine. I feel like I'll go for a four. Well, how about you? Are you matching? Yep. I think that's... Okay. So with a four and a four, we get a two out of five for face of faces. Okay. Then our next category is lengthiness. How long do you think this man reigned? Uh, oof. 20 years? 20 years is not the mm. case. You are grossly underestimating. Yeah, no, I mean, I was thinking more, but like so much happened and I never know, like, well, it, it's true because so much happened and we didn't, it, we barely had sources. 
and he made it into his 80s or 90s and we saw the entire like reign of Marcus Aurelius and okay I'll say 40 then okay closer <laughs> he did a grand total of 44 years wow. being our fifth longest reigning ruler which is very impressive because yeah. our man was not in a stable time period he did a good job yep so yeah he ruled from 148 to 192 so we're out of the Roman Golden Age, thank goodness. We can kick them back a little bit now. But divided by 5, that gives him a grand total of 4.4 out of 5 for lengthiness. That brings us to the final score, which is a grand total, a very, very impressive score, of 48.4 out of 100, which places him just under Musa. Hmm. And above Antiochus the Fourth, above Xerxes the First, above Mithridates the First, wow. he is up in the very prestigious Forties Club. So he's done a very good job for himself. Let's see how he does with our next question. How about that? Because what we want to know is: Is he cooey enough? <laughs> is he plaguey enough? Is he stable enough to be called a Shahanshah, or is he just a Shahanshah? There are two Shahanas higher than him, but there are several Shahanshahs below him. So, what do you think this story was worth? God, I... See, my opinion yeah. right now is that if there were more sources, definitely. Yes. Since we don't have sources, I'm on the edge because he did a lot of cool things. He was good for the Empire. He had a coup. That's always fun. He fought back against the Romans for the first time in forever. He kept the empire stable, which was an amazing job. But we don't really have much detail on all that. We just know that he did stuff, but we don't have a nice fancy scene in the palace when he takes the throne or mm -hmm. a nice scene when he's fighting against the Romans. We just get this happened. So do you think that counts for Shahanshah or do you think that Ashan Shah should have more detail. Because we gave it to Sinatrukis the first. He's our lowest rated Shah and Shah. And Sinatrukis restabilized the empire from a period of turmoil and civil war. And he was an old man who died in peace, leaving a stable succession, just like Vulagasis. Yeah, I guess he was pretty impressive. It's just a shame that I don't feel like it was such a blow you away episode because. I guess sources. Yeah, disappointing that way. Even though like so much happened, it's not his it was, fault. It was so cool. It's the but, fault of yeah. his descendants that will get usurped eventually, <laughs> and be replaced, be scrubbed out of history. So it's just, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Are you more pro or more against, or are you just like set in the middle? This one's really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> Because we, we can go to a coin if you want. We have a coin of the guy he usurped, Volkasis III, to flip. We can no, do you know that what? Let's give it to him. See. Let's give it to him because he didn't get more points because, like, even though he deserved them because of the sources, and he didn't do more because of the sources, and we didn't, you know. So, like, I'm like, at least he can get this. Because he was impressive. Yeah, I feel like yeah. I agree. The, the fact yeah. that he did a lot of good things... Sure, we don't know much about him, but you could write a kick-ass novel about him. Yeah. There is the material to do that. That would be cool. So, there we go. If I write something, I'll put it on Patreon. Yes. We'll see. We'll see if I feel inspired. It would be nice. But yeah, in that case, congratulations, Volagasius IV. A dark horse out of nowhere for the first time. Confetti. So, so long. So, so long. He has finally become a Shahanshah. Our first Shahanshah since Musa. Hey, listen. Do you remember how long ago that listen, was? Listen, it's been hard. Yeah, so congratulations, Volagasis. You can head off into the Paradise Gardens. Be careful with the gate. It's a bit rusty. Nobody's used it for a while. But make your way through. You can go and meet Musa, who is not even your ancestor, but, yep. you know... We're still roughly part of the same dynasty. It counts. So <laughs> We're going to say it counts. Your well-earned rest, Volagasis. You've deserved it. I'm sure Volagasis I is really jealous. Yep. Well, you know, amazing. And that is the end 
of our episode. Thank you all for coming with us, and thank you for witnessing our latest shot and shot at last. So we're back. Yeah. We (laughs) hope you'll join us next time with Volagasis the Fifth. See, will he live up to his father? Will things crash down again as they so often have? Who knows? Join us next week to find out how that works. In the meantime, if you would like to support us, you can join us on Patreon. We have lots of lovely supporters there who have been helping us out, making new extra episodes. We have a number of series. We have our first series on contemporaries of Mithridates the Great. So we have Mithridates of Pontus, Tigranes the Great of Armenia, Hanwudi of China. We then have a series of uh, important Athenians. All the Greeks. Themistocles, Alcibiades, Xenophon, lovely people. And soon we're coming up, it was voted, we're going to have a series on the Maurya dynasty, so Chandragupta, mm. Bindusara, and Ashoka Maurya. You know when you are always misspelling Ahsoka from the <laughs> Star Wars series, with, you, you're putting the H in the wrong place? Yeah, this is the guy that they were leading you towards. You want to find out why? Subscribe to Patreon. <laughs> oh yeah. Sorry, dyslexics. <laughs> Otherwise, if you don't want to support us monetarily, that's fine. But we appreciate if you could give us a rating on your podcast app of choice so other people know we exist and know that you like us. Yes. So, yeah, without any further ado, we hope you've had a lovely time. And uh, we hope you have a good week. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.